So good to see you guys. Welcome to Church on the Rock. I'm, I know it's Thanksgiving weekend, right? That lingers for multiple days after. So I would imagine there's a lot of people still traveling, hanging with family, out of town. So I'm going to say hello to everybody tuning in online, whether you attend here in person ever or not. Uh, we love you guys. I miss you. Give it up for everybody watching online, whether they're streaming or following along. Good to have you. Uh, for the rest of us, we're in the building. Good to have you too. You guys look amazing. Thanks for being here. Um, this uh, is like I'm hot. If, if we can just turn me down, um, I'm already annoying myself. So I appreciate that. Uh, hey, church, it's really good to see you. If you call Church on the Rock your home, if you're a regular attender here, you know that for the last two Sundays, I've not been the one delivering the messages. Uh, in fact, two Sundays ago, I wasn't here at all. Uh, I was off in the Midwest chasing the elusive whitetail, uh, and that was a lot of fun. And then last Sunday, I was back in the house, but was not up on the platform at all. And so what I want to do is I just want to thank so much. If you would uh, join me in the gratitude, I want to thank Cynthia, who brought an amazing message just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, thank you for your word and your faithfulness. And then Larry, who delivered last Sunday's message. That was uh, also fantastic. I listened to uh, Cynthia's message in a deer stand. I just put one uh, AirPod in, and so one ear is listening for the deer, and the other was getting the word of truth just spoken into my life. And then last week, I was able to sit uh, right down front and listen to, uh, to Larry communicate the gospel. But uh, I just want to thank you, too, honestly, very much for just delivering good, solid truth into our house. And then listen to the serve team. I want to thank you guys for being amazing. You're all awesome. And I know a lot of you aren't in the room right now. So do me a favor, spread what I'm about to say like a rumor. When you see a serve team member today, they will be identified with some of the shirts they're wearing, like a black shirt that says, love God, love people. Some of them might have a green shirt on. Would you just tell them how amazing they are? Because here's what I want you to know. Listen, uh, I feel like it is, it is the amazingness of them that gives me even the option to go and take a break, uh, to go do some, something that I love, to have a vacation or whatever. And so I just thank you so much to the incredible uh, leaders and communicators, to the awesome staff of our church, and thank you so much to the serve team members all around this place. Would you give it up for this? Even if you're a serve team or give it up for the other one, you guys are awesome and I love you. Yeah. So we've been in a message series, uh, and I'm going to get to that here in just a moment, but there is one thing I just, I kind of want to, uh, to announce, and I, and I really want you to hear this from me. And so if you're new here, this is going to be news to you, but if, if you've been a part of our church for more than a year, then this is not new, it's just coming back. And so every single year at Church on the Rock, we do something that we call an impact offering, and this is a particular Sunday where we, uh, we focus our giving completely on giving, let me just preface this a little bit. I'm going to pastor you for a moment, okay? So I'm not talking about your tithe. I'm talking about your giving. Those are delineated and different. You're going to hear more about that in the very, very near future. But what I'm talking about is not what we return to the Lord, which is the first fruits of our increase. Tithe, meaning tenth. It's not fancy or, or like, you know, it's, it's just it's that. It's just a tenth. I'm talking about what we give, the, the, the part that God allows us to keep and steward, oh, every year we receive what we call an impact offering. And here's what we do as a church is we give the entire thing away. We just bless people. And so the worst thing that a leader of a church could do, I think, is say, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Today, we're going to ask you to give. And so would you just get out your wallets and write the biggest check you've ever written? Like, that's just not how we roll. So this offering is happening on December the 10th, all right? So it's a couple of weeks away, and here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm just asking you to prayerfully ask the Lord, God, what can I do? 
What would you have me do? What could I give that would make an impact in people's lives? And again, here in a couple of weeks, uh, maybe in a few weeks, you're going to hear some of the incredible impact that you've already had as a church um, this year. Some of the things that we've been able to do for people within our church, people within our community. I'm, t- I'm telling you, your generosity moves the needle for the gospel in the areas that we have the privilege to serve. So all I'm asking you right now is just seek the Lord. I'm not telling you what to give. It is not as I am not the Holy Spirit. I'm just the pastor. So just pray and say, God, what would you have me give? And I'd love for you just to contribute so that we can go make an impact in people's lives. Amen, everybody? All right, you feel good? I know the preacher just talked about money. You'll get over it. You're okay. All right, I promise. You'll be fine today. I want to get into the conclusion of an eight-part series that we've been in called The Blueprint. So we've been in a study of Matthew chapter 16, and what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to recap everything that we've talked about, and then I'm going to land this plane, this, this like final installment of this series from these words from Christ Jesus. And here's what we did as a team, okay? So we've got some really cool new things that we have started to do um, as a staff, and so one of those things is that we've created these creative days, and we actually come together as a team, and we prayerfully seek the Lord, and we create the content that is delivered to you on Sundays and other areas, but primarily here. And this series right here, here's what we found, is we found this blueprint. We found that Jesus himself sort of gave this explanation about what he wanted his church to look like. Because here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to summarize quickly, is he said, I'm going to build a church, and I'm going to build a church that's so awesome that hell itself can't stand against it. And that's a really good thing to hear. Like if you're a part of that church, I like the idea of being built in a way that all evil and all of hell cannot conquer. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And so as we begin as a team to really dig into this text and we begin to really study God's word, we begin to see some things that begin to unpack for us. And we saw eight things in in the the idea of a blueprint. It's like Jesus said he's going to do some building. He's going to build a structure. And anybody in this room that knows anything about building, there's always a blueprint. You have to know how to build because the order of things matters and the way things get done matter, right? You can build some amazing walls, but if you don't have a good foundation, they're going to fall over. You with me? And so we just, we just dug into Matthew chapter 16 and we just let Jesus' words speak for themselves. And then week by week for the last eight weeks, we've just been unpacking that and elaborating on those things so that we can better follow Christ Jesus as disciples of his. Amen. So here, here we're going to recap quickly. And week one, here's basically what we said. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of that building. The church that he's going to build It all matters and rests and is set on Christ Jesus himself. Say amen right there. I'm just telling you. You try to do religion, you try to do life, you try to do stuff without Jesus, it will crumble. Jesus said, just recognize. Like, what's up? I'm not trying to be arrogant and all, but like I'm kind of a big deal. That's that's basically what he said. I'm the cornerstone. In week two, we talked about the revelation that Peter had. And we're going to read that in just a second. But Peter had this revelation. And that revelation was like, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are, in fact, the Messiah. You are the one that's going to die on the cross for my sins. You are going to raise, like, be raised from the dead and ascend to the fall. All the things that you say, I believe it. That is you. And Jesus said, uh, yeah, basically, that revelation, that's, that, that's what I'm going to build on. I'm going to build on that understanding and that revelation. In the third week, we talked about how that revelation changes our identity. We become new creations in Christ Jesus. Amen, everybody? That's a good thing because you don't want to be who you used to be. 
And you probably don't want to be who you are. You want to continue to modify into the image and likeness of Christ Jesus day by day, moment by moment. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then in verse, uh, week four, rather, uh, we kind of found like Satan's going to fight that church. I don't think Jesus would declare that I'll build a church that hell itself can't conquer if he wasn't trying to tell us like, you're going to be in a fight. There's going to be some pushback. Satan's not just going to roll over and be like, oh, dang, they're Christians. I guess I'll quit. He's going to push back on that as hard as he can and try to get us to regress back to a former way of life and living. Amen. And and so Satan's going to fight the church. I think it's important that we understand that. Week five, we found out that we have authority to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to all of your problems. All of them. The simple gospel fixes, resolves, answers every issue that we face in life. Then a couple of weeks ago, uh, we learned this, that, um, that relationships, they matter. Isn't that right? Cynthia did an amazing job. It's important to understand the relationships that are around us. Can I just like sub-preach for a second here? Pay attention to who you got around you, because there are some of us that need to get rid of some friendships. We don't need to be rude. We don't need to be ugly. We should treat everybody with respect and dignity. But there are some relationships that aren't doing you any favors. There are some relationships that you're trying to live like a 10 out of 10 life and they're about a 5 out of 10. And you wonder why you're operating at about a 6.5. It might have something to do with that. If you're trying to live a 10 out of 10 life, get around some 11s. They exist. My wife. Charlie. I mean, they're out there. Look for them, okay? Find them. Get around some people that's like, man, I just like, I, I, I want to be like you. I want you speaking into my life. I want to acquire the traits and the giftings that you have. I, I, like, I just, I love the way you live for Jesus with that kind of a passion. Come on, somebody. Relationships matter. Anyway, let's move on. No, week seven, last week, here's, here's what we learned is that we are called by God to surrender all, everything. We're going to tunnel down in there just a little bit further today because we are called by God to give him every single part of our lives. And then today, here's going to be the focus. You ready? I'm going to unpack as best I can that the life of surrender is better than you think. It's just better than you think. And I want to get into it. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. God, I thank you for this series. I thank you not just for the series that you've been unpacking in the hearts of our church over the course of the last eight weeks. But God, I thank you for what you're really doing in this house. You are doing something new and different. It is deep and it is lasting. Father, I pray today as we get into your word that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Father, I pray that we would be receptive to your word, the truth, Lord God, and that we would apply your truth to our lives so we would walk more like you, God, that we would live more like you, that we would represent you in the best way possible. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so after that quick recap, let's get right back into the same text that we've been reading for eight straight weeks. We're going to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles or your device, it's gonna be on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 16, the Bible says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and that is important, there's cool things that happen there, but we're not getting into it today. He asked his disciples this question, He said, who do people say the Son of Man is? And this was a way that Jesus referred to himself a lot. In fact, he referred to himself this way more than any other way in all the Gospels. Uh, And this has also got implications that we're not getting into today. But he asked the question, basically, what's my reputation? Like, word on the street. What are people saying? 
Well, verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Let me, let me kind of wrap that. They, they basically said, you got a good rep. People like you. They say really positive things about you. And Jesus is probably like, oh, cool, man. I'm about to wreck that. And so uh, verse 15, and then he asked a question that is the question, the question. It's the question that every human will face in their lifetime. And the question is, but who do you say that I am? Like, what about you? It was almost as if he said, like, cool, but I'm not really concerned with popular opinion. What do you say about me? How do you feel about me? Listen to me carefully. Every single one of us will answer that question at some point in our lifetime, in our lifetimes. And I recommend that you recommend it the way that Peter did. And here he goes. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Why? Because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. I love the fact that Jesus is like, you have, a, you have had a revelation. Something has been understood deep on the inside of you, not just intellectually. It's not just an opinion. You've discovered the very truth. And he says, you did not learn this from any human being. And here's where we get that identity change. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, this is like the idea of the entire series, I will build my church and the power of hell will not conquer it. And then he goes on to say that I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, it's kind of a key word there, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. Can we just pause right there for a second? Jesus begins to like stop doing the parable thing. This is not hieroglyphic anymore. He's just like plainly telling them, like things are about to get really bad for me. And, and I want you to notice, if you missed it, he's like, yeah, the church is going to do it. Think about that. The, the church, all the, the, the elders and the leaders of religion, they're, they're the ones that are going to do it. And then here we go, verse 22. Peter took him aside, and he's like, uh, nah, man, nah. He, he begins to reprimand him, saying, like, don't, don't say this. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, that this would ever happen to you. Listen, you need friends like Peter. You need friends that are going to chop off someone's ear for you. You need people that care about you. You know what I'm saying? And Peter is like, bro, I don't like what you're saying. I don't want anything negative to happen to you. Like, I love you, man. What are you talking about? Peter, I think, in the best of intentions, from the greatest place in his heart, pulls Jesus aside as a friend. And he's like, there's got to be a better way. Like, you're talking crazy. And then Jesus responds in this kind of, kind of this thing. He turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. Now, I just want you, I don't think that he was calling Peter Satan. I think he was speaking to Satan who was trying to use a voice in his life to get him off, off of his mission. And there, there's, again, I'm going to reinforce it. There are some of us that there are relationships that are deteriorating our walk with Christ. And you need to do something about them. I just feel like somebody needs that this morning. I, whatever. Take it or leave it. I'm just trying to help you. So he said, heaven forbid, Lord, 
This is whatever happened to you. And then Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. You were a dangerous trap to me. Why? You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. This is what, this is what Larry talked about last week. Take up your cross and follow me. Pay attention to verse 25, everybody, because it's a good reminder. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And watch what he says. We're going to focus here today. And will judge all people according to their deeds. And then he finishes the chapter by saying, and I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And some of those very men that he's talking to watched him ascend up into the heavens. He was kind of like, I'm going to summarize that for you. Jesus was like, what's up? I'm raised from the dead. This is post-cross. He's like, look, I'm good. See the scars? I did it, everybody, just like I said. And then he was like, check it out. You got the Holy Spirit. You're good now. Um, Y'all are a little bit frustrating. I'm going home. And gone. All right? That's about about how it happened right there. Okay? So Jesus goes up. He's seated at the right hand of the Father as if to indicate that the work is finished. And I love this. The Bible tells us that Jesus prays for us. Man, I'm telling you, that is meaningful that he's looking toward the Father like it is tough down there. All right, what they deal with is not easy. I felt it, I lived it, I experienced it. I love the fact that we have this high priest who prays for us. So every time you're struggling, I believe that Jesus is like, Father, I pray over my son. I pray over my daughter. God, move in them, show them the light, show them the path, help them, strengthen. I just, that's just, I believe it because the Bible says it, Amen. But there's this thing here, we're going to get into it a little bit today, okay? But there's this thing here where, where the New Living Translation, which is where we've read this text from every single week, the New Living Translation says that he will judge all people according to their deeds. And that doesn't feel really good. And here's the problem with today's American church, is that we want everything to feel good. And it don't. Sometimes good things hurt. The founder of our, of our church, Pastor Tom, he, he has this phrase that I use often. Usually when I'm leaving the gym, I'll say, that hurts so good. Because sometimes a little pain is to our benefit. I'm, I'm not expecting a lot of amens, but when you know the truth, you can just shoot one. You know what I'm saying? Just throw it in there. It'll help me. It'll help you. So the Bible says very plainly right there that like he's coming and he's going to judge some things. Now, we instantly put a negative connotation on that word judge. Now, I just want to read the same verse from another translation. Can we do that? We're going to go to the New Living Translation. We're going to read verse 27. Here we go. The Bible says that the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and watch what's going to happen, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. So the question kind of becomes, because we've read it from the New Living Translation, and and it uses the word judge us for the words, judge us for deeds. And then when we read it in the New Living Translation, he talks about rewarding us for deeds. And so to me, I just, I try to communicate the same way that I think. And to me, the question is like, well, then which one is it? How many of you guys are wondering the same thing if you're bold enough to raise your hand? Which one is it? Is he going to judge us or is he going to reward us? And the answer is yes. 
It is yes. Okay? But I want to unpack it a little bit because the original word in the text is closer to the word reward than it is to the word judge. And the word judge here is really just meaning to decipher, to determine, not to say, how dare you. And I think context matters, right? Because now, and, and listen, we're, most of us in this room are American people. We are at least in the Western world. And I just believe that the West has some things jacked up. I just do. And I'm not trying to say that like the, the East has it all figured out or whatever either. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there's been this slow, painful drift for a long time toward comfort and feeling good and being encouraged and like, I need a safe space and all that nonsense. Okay? And I'm, and I'm, just, I'm just here to tell you that sometimes... Truth is challenging. But when we look at this word judge, it isn't the Western world like, I, oh my gosh, they were judging me. Stop it, stop it. They disagreed with you. That's different, okay? I'm not gonna get on a soapbox, I promise. I could, but I'm not. This word judge would mean more like to decipher, to determine, to, to throw some things in the scales, to weigh, to measure, just a little bit. The original word, though, and I can't pronounce it, quite frankly, uh, but the, it's, it's Greek, and, and it sounds Greek to me, and it would sound Greek to you. But, it, but it, this is what it translates, to deliver, to give, to give away for one's own profit, to pay off, discharge what is due, a debt, wages, tribute. It says think, to give things promised under oath. Now, when we dig into that real original Greek word, it sounds a little different than our Western eyes thinking of the word judge, doesn't it? And so the question that I would want to know is like, well, is it a reward or is it a judge? Well, yes. And so we're going to get into a topic today that's difficult. You ready? If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're not, um, sorry. <laughs> you're here some of you guys are like, I knew that we should have stayed an extra day with the family. I knew it. I told you. I told you. And you're probably right. But you're here now, so let's get it all. You ready? I actually want to talk today about repentance. This is a word that, that maybe isn't getting enough attention in today's church. Maybe we're not giving it enough like, credibility or thought or focus. But, but the word repentance... And I want you to know something about the word repentance, that the Old Testament uses the word repentance, and the New Testament uses the word repentance, and while they're very similar, there is a delineation between the two. In the Old Testament, anywhere you see the word repentance, it, it, it actually means if I'm going this way, and I repent, that I would turn, and I would go this way, all right? And that's a great understanding of repentance, to change your way. The New Testament word repentance is different, though. It's more cerebral, intellectual. It, it's, not, it's not as literal that, like, I would repent in a walk, and I would, if I'm going north, I would now go south. It means to change how you think. So it's, it's, it starts up here, 
And here's what happened. It ends up down here. Are you with me? And so the word repentance is, is to change how I think. And the book of Romans talks about having our minds renewed in Christ Jesus, right? Washed through his word. So I'm going to, can I just, I never like read stuff off my notes, but can I just read something that I typed out for today? A life built on the revelation of Jesus as the Christ is a life built on the rock that hell itself cannot conquer. That life does require our all. It calls us to spiritual warfare. It calls us to defend and stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It calls us to, play, to pay close attention to our relationships and to have a strong, solid relationship to the body of Christ. It inevitably calls us to surrender all we are to follow Jesus. So what do we get for all that? That's the question I typed. We get the abundant life in Christ. So can I just, like I have one point. Like it's not like point one, two. I just have one idea for the day. And I just want the scripture to, to just enforce it for us, yeah? I want to take you to the book of Acts. Let me set it up just a little bit here. Is that Peter, the same Peter, who's like, when Jesus is like, like who do you say that I am? Peter's like, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, like you are who you say you are. And Jesus is like, bro, you got it. You are my D-O-G, yes, right answer, all that. Matthew 16 comes. Peter's the dude that when, that when Jesus was, was being arrested in the garden, he's like the, he's like the friend you want, right? Because like, like, like good friends will come get you out of jail Really good friends will look to their right and be like, that was awesome, right? I don't know if that's a good church joke. I'm not really sure if that works on a Sunday. But Peter was the one that would be in jail with you, like, that was crazy. I can't believe it. That's the kind of friend he was, and that's the kind of friend you want. And so when Jesus was being arrested, he's the one that pulls out the sword. He cuts off the dude's ear. He's like, bro, like he's ready. Let's throw hands. I'm that guy. But then Peter is also the one who denied Jesus three different times. And if you've ever made any kind of error like that, and I would suggest that 100% of us have, we have felt that sinking, awful, I can't undo what I've done kind of regret. I've preached entire messages about that, about Peter. But then, but then, man, I don't have time for all this, but can I just preach today? Then, though, Jesus comes out of the grave, and he says to the ladies that discover, like, the, the stone is rolled away, and he's not in there. And then he's like, I want you to go tell my disciples and Peter. I think it's meaningful because I think Jesus, no, he's already written himself off. He was that loyal ride or die guy. And then he kind of screwed that up. But I didn't give up on him. Because as good a friend as Peter is, Jesus is the best of friend. Yeah. So go tell my disciples and Peter. 
And so Peter, who's already gone back to his former way of life in the fishing boats, because he's like, I guess the church thing wasn't for me, and I've been there before, and I'll bet you've been there before. And maybe you're on the fringes wondering if you're not good enough to do the whole thing anyway. Maybe this morning you're Peter, and that's why the Holy Spirit has me communicating this now, even though it's not in my notes or planned. Maybe it's just for you. And you're like, I really don't know if I cut it as a Christian. I don't know if I do this disciple thing well. And so you've already started to turn back to a former way of life and belief and action and lifestyle. And I believe that the spirit of the living God's like, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. So, so maybe this is your lifeline. Come, come on back. It's probably not as bad as you think. And so in Acts chapter 3, where we're about to read, Peter, who has been given a second chance by Jesus himself, probably has a renewed resolve. He's probably like got his heels dug in even deeper than ever before because I would just imagine, this is a total assumption, but I would just imagine that Peter's the type of guy that's like, I thought I wrecked this thing. Jesus put me back on this track and I guarantee you, I'm not gonna mess this up again. And he's preaching fire, okay? Like he's just, with boldness, Peter's boldness was like stupid, way off the charts. And he's preaching some fire and here's some things that he says. Because people want to know what to do with the gospel. They want to know what to do with Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 19 of Acts chapter 3. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. So there it is. He's like, hey, you want to be a disciple of Jesus? You want to walk with him? Well, it requires repentance. Can I just tell you something? Listen, some of you are going to hate this. But can I just say? That if you want to walk with Christ Jesus, repentance is completely necessary. You cannot have one without the other. Impossible. So if you're trying to do the one foot in, one foot out thing, like Larry talked about last Sunday, if you're kind of like, look, I'll sort of like, I'll, I'll sort of do the church thing, but I'm not gonna do the Christ following thing. I'll play the part, I'll look the part, I'll say the words, I'll do the language, I'll run through all the steps, but I'm actually not gonna fully surrender my heart to him. I won't change how I think and allow him to renew who I am from the inside out. Let me just, you might as well hang it up now. Because you cannot, effectively walk with Jesus and not have a heart of repentance. Okay, all right. What we just did is ate all the vegetables on the plate. Now we're gonna get the good stuff, okay? Now it's time for some fried turkey. Y'all ready? Let's get into it because I wanna take you somewhere because here's what I wanna do. In the same exact context in which we talk about the reality of repentance, the need and the demand for it in the life of the follower of Christ Jesus, I want you to also simultaneously see the heart of our God. And here it comes. Romans chapter two, verse four. It says this. Don't you see how wonderfully, and I want you to just notice some, some of the attributes described here. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see, and this is my favorite, I love this verse like crazy. Can't you see that it is his kindness, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance? That's how I have it memorized. Let me read it how it's on the paper. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So we have a thing, we have a thing, like 
It's a culture thing that we do around here at Church on the Rock. So if you've never attended All Access, I'm going to give you a portion of it right now. If you've never attended All Access, it'll be next Sunday at 1130, right after the service down the hall to the right in the All Access room. Shameless plug. But there's this thing that we do around here, okay? And it's cultural. Like it's who we are. It's how we do. And it's like this, okay? I think that there are a couple of different ways that you can present the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that you could say things like, you better get right or you're going to get left. If you don't turn, you're going to burn. I think that you can stand on self-righteous pedestals thinking that somehow you're better than the people you're communicating to with a long finger of judgment and you can tell people, you better, t- you better repent, you better get right, you better this, you better that, blah, blah, blah. I just think you could do that. You can. And I'm not even saying that that might not be true. Except for the whole self-righteous pedestal thing. That isn't true. That's a figment of your own imagination. You're welcome. <clears throat> but you could declare the word that way and it be true. Or you could declare the word, I think, the way that the heart of God intended it to be declared And that is that it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance, not his judgment. He's not angry. Listen to me carefully. God, the Bible says, is love. He is love. So do I have to repent? Well, of course, because because love wants the best for you. But is he the one that's going to stand up there and throw hammers every time you mess? No, 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 because look, the Bible tells us that he's kind and he's tolerant and he's patient. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's like his goodness. Some translations use the word goodness. So every time anyone that I know drifts away in their journey of faith, they just get far from the heart of God, I pray that he would bless them. That's my prayer because of this verse. I pray, God, would you just overwhelm them with your goodness? Would you remind them of your love for them? God, would you just pour out on them the overwhelming reality of your infatuation with who they are and who you are calling them to be? Would you just remind them that you're like a good father and you want to welcome them back to your house and you want to put your loving arms around them? Because when you think about the father that way, it does change how you think which means repentance is a reality. There's a scripture that says this. Jesus said it. If you love me, you'll do what I say. And you can hear that a couple of ways. You can hear it like this. If you love me, you'll do what I say. And some of us parent that way, don't we? Guilty as charged. All my kids want to throw something right now. Please withhold. If you love me, you'll do what I say. That's one way that you could hear it, or you can hear it the way I actually think Jesus intended it. If you love me, You'll do what I say. Just fall in love with me. Don't worry about it. You'll do what I say. Because I want you to think about anybody in your world, anybody, that you just think the world of, and don't you just want to please them? You're already thinking about what you're going to get them for Christmas. You're already starting to like, oh, gosh, what can I do for that person? Because I, like, I care so much about them. And I want, like, it is your desire to please because of your love. This is who our God is. Amen. I, I'm trying to help us understand both at the same time. So, so we're going to go back to Acts chapter 3, to this, to this sermon from the renewed, passionate Peter. He says this, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away, period. Very next sentence. Can we just lean in and pay attention really, really closely? 
then, like because of, the result is then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. This is the big idea. Like the whole point of today's message is this. It isn't that God says, stop it. You cut that out. You hear me? You stop doing that. You don't talk like that. You don't act like that. No, no, it's not like that. It's like if, if you would trust me and if you would fully surrender to me, and I know it's difficult to listen to me. I think that he has compassion and kindness and patience, Romans chapter two. I, if, I, I, like it's hard. Listen to me. As people, as a person, as somebody that lives in this life just like you live in this life, like a drive in the traffic and I pay the bills and I'm around real people and I'm not perfect and I don't have it all together, I've learned something about repentance. It's always difficult to give up what I like, love, or hold. Always, every time. I'm not saying this is easy. What I'm saying is it's worth it. Because it's not that God is like, you cut that out and you stop it. It's, it's like a loving father saying, if you would trust me, I will give you so much more. You will find something worth that sacrifice. It will draw you closer to me because there's more that he wants to offer you than he would ever ask from you. Look, it's just true. It is what it is. So today, what a, gosh, what a verse, what a promise. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to end our service with some very specific response, okay? And here's, here's my hope and my prayer is this, that maybe you're in this room tuning in online because you're out of town for the holiday or maybe you're just catching this 18 months after the recording. The timing is exactly right for you. God intended for you to be hearing my voice in this moment. And there, there are some of you, perhaps, you've never like even stepped into a relationship with Jesus, not, not even for the first time. You're, you're outside. Maybe you've been wondering, I'm not really sure. Like, this is, I don't know about this whole thing. Maybe church has, has gotten you confused. Or maybe you've had some bad experiences with church. I have no idea. Look, I don't know. But like, I, I'm, I promise you, if I have a heart of compassion toward people, you would be first place. Really. It's, it's all the religious ones that irritate you that irritate me too. Okay. <clears throat> you guys understand what I'm saying, right? When I say religious, I mean, I'm talking about the self-righteous pedestaled people. Yeah, it's not you. It's the, it's, anyway, all right, I'll stop before I dig a hole too deep to get out of. But, but like maybe you've never made that decision that I am going to trust Jesus I, I actually believe he is the Messiah. I believe he is who he says he is. And I believe he's made a way for me. And I, th I think it's his, it's his kindness and his tolerance and his patience toward me that has even gotten me to this moment. You know what? I, by faith, I'm going to trust him for who he says that he is. Because I, I love the idea of a father like him. Okay, good. That might be you. And if that's you, you're about to have the opportunity to step into a personal relationship with Jesus right here this morning. But there may be others of you that you've done that before, but you're just away from God, like far from God. Maybe there's just some distance. I don't know. Like you just, you just kind of like evaluate yourself. But I'm just telling you, like I've been there before. I've been there before where I've tried to totally ignore God completely. Like just leave me alone. I don't want that. And 
it's the best thing ever because once you've had a taste, you'll never get away. It's impossible. If you've ever tasted the goodness of God, it's impossible. You can try to ignore him. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> but his love, it always calls us, you want to come home? You want to come back? Yeah, you good? Like, I just think that's his heart. Or, or maybe, right, maybe you're just total ignored, like, I don't want it. Or maybe it's just like, man, I don't know what's going on, but it's just, I just feel this. It's not the same. I just feel like there's some distance. I don't want it to be there, but it's there. Come on, it happens, man. It happens to all of us. Work could get too busy. Family could get too busy. It could be hunting season. And you start thinking about certain things more maybe than you should or whatever, okay? This is a moment to step back in to the closeness of God. Because he's like, yeah, 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 come on. Not in my notes, but 1 John 1, 9, it's like my go-to, it's like my go-to sin verse, okay? Every single time. I usually do this on my repetitive sins, like when I do it again. Come on, am I the only one? Where it's like, dang it, why do I keep doing this? I'll go to 1 John 1, 9, and here's what it says. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And there are some of you listening to this message today, that's exactly what you need. I've got to do some repenting, lay some things down, because I know that my Heavenly Father, who is kind and tolerant and patient, His kindness welcomes me back, and His promise is that He's faithful and He's just He will forgive and he will cleanse, faithful and just to do those things. And there are no stipulations around that verse. So here's what we're going to do. I would love for you, can you do me a favor? Nobody's going to take your purse. Will you just close your eyes? I want you to just sit for a moment. I just, I would love for you to just hear a description of our God. So just take this in. Best you can, just let it go straight through your ears, deep into your soul. Here we go. It's a description of our God. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil because he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely his goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a description. 
of our God. So before we pray together and then we're going to conclude today with communion together, as I was reading through this, I just, I want to say this. I feel like somebody listening to this message needs to hear this. Psalms chapter 23 says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I just feel like too many of you have felt like they discipline you, they hurt you. Maybe part of your story or your background is abuse of some, at some level in some way. And the enemy has created a connection that is false. And you have connected that to God. That was never God's heart or plan for you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. He is not your punisher. He, he is your protector. So if you would, all across the auditorium, would you stand with me? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I definitely do this part on purpose. I want you to be able to look inside yourself. I want you to be able to evaluate you. And what I'm about to do is I'm gonna lead us in prayer. It's a very simple prayer. We do it every single weekend here, every weekend. Because there are some of you that are gonna make a decision of change, of repentance. But today you've seen the heart of God and you say, I want that life of refreshment. I wanna receive all he has for me. I'll give this up because I know that he loves me and he comforts me and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Like I, that, I need to get near him. It's his goodness that has caused me to wanna to get close. So if that's you and you're far from God, I want you to say this prayer as a reconnection point to him. Maybe you're making a decision for Jesus for the first time. Here's our prayer. I want you to repeat after me. You're gonna say, dear Jesus, I give you my life, all of it. Come into my heart, forgive me my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. All that I am is yours. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Would you congratulate those that said that prayer? Congratulations wherever you are, online, in the room.